turn in your Bibles to uh, James uh, chapter 3 this morning. The first 12 verses uh, is where we're going to be. Now, if, uh, you know, you can think about your childhood a little bit growing up, um, I think we all learned the phrase, uh, sticks and stones, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, right? Well, another thing that we learned growing up is that that phrase is a load of garbage, right? It's hot garbage. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Because, I mean, we all know, I think, the, the power of words. We know the strength of them. I think we, it's probably safe to say we've all been scarred in some way by, um, by a cruel or a, a careless or, or a heartless comment. Maybe for you, you can kind of painfully even think back to a time where, you know, something had been whispered about you behind your back and, you know, eventually that kind of leaked its way out and got uh, to your ears. Or maybe even you grew up in a, in a context and, and maybe it was your own family where, you know, cruel words were screamed at you from about, I don't know, a couple of inches away from your face. And that was the kind of thing that you uh, are used to, and it just evokes a pain. Okay, well, I think a more accurate way of putting that phrase is, sticks and stones may break my bones, and names will always hurt me. Now, if you've been uh, a Christian long enough, uh, one of the truly ugly realities that you've you know, probably experienced at this point, and I'll be honest, it's not a very well-kept secret, is that sometimes those who profess uh, Jesus Christ as Lord are the worst offenders uh, when it comes to the tongue, right? When it comes to words, okay? But to echo James himself, as we're going to see him say here, uh, these things ought not to be so. He's been showing us, you know, all along so far in the first two chapters uh, that we've seen just the importance of works in the life of a Christian in that they validate our faith claim, right? They provide, they provide evidence that we are in fact saved. We looked a lot about that, a lot, a lot at that last week. And again, it's not that we are saved by our works. Paul makes that very clear. But as James really gets at, we are saved to do good works. Okay? Genuine believers, if you are truly a Christian, you will see the fruit of good works produced in your life as the Holy Spirit works in you and works through you. And, and one of those works that you will see is that you'll learn to gain control over your tongue. It's one of those areas that, you know, you and I as the church, you know, we got to put concentrated effort into this. I mean, we really do. Because our words can be, as we know, violent, right? They can be evil and you know, a mixture of that along with, you know, some good words. I mean, having all that together, that, that's not okay, right? It, it's not all right that we would kind of in our mind think, well, as long as I'm kind of balancing out, it out a little bit and, you know, I've got some good things to say to kind of go with the bad, uh, that's, that's not fine, okay? If we're, as, if we're Christians here, we, we've got to be struck by the seriousness of this. You and I should be... I mean, we really should be deeply convicted when we sin with our words. We should be, you know, so humbled, you know, as we think about how difficult it is to get this area 
under control in our lives, right? We, 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 should, we should feel that urge to cling more closely, more tightly to the Lord Jesus for his strength and his mercy and his power in us as we work to love him well with our lips and love others with our lips as well. And so I want to read this, uh, what James has to say about it. Again, he's so practical. He's, he's very direct. He just gets right after it here. So follow along with me uh, in your copy of God's Word, starting in verse 1. It says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Lord, as we think about what we have just read here and even just begin to kind of meditate on that and think about that, Lord, we are struck by just how difficult it is to control the tongue. Lord, we confess that we need you. Lord, I pray that you would do a work of sanctification here today in our church. Lord, I pray that you would bring uh, the necessary amount of conviction where uh, we are allowing our tongue to run rampant, uh, much to the destruction of ourselves and others. God, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would protect this church. Lord, I pray that you would protect the relationships here. Lord, I pray that um, you would allow us to be a, a healthy church. Lord, a church where we we don't just say that we love you and we don't just say that we love others, but Lord, we actually do it. And so Lord, as we take a look at our words and our lips and our tongue, Lord, this whole idea that we can really do harm, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength. I pray that you would give us the humility required to humble ourselves and, and seek your face on this, seek you to to do a new, a fresh work in us, making us more like Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would do all of this to your glory. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, here's the first thing uh, here this morning. If you've got notes and you like to jot things down, here it is. I will make every effort to gain control of my tongue. 
All right, that is our commitment here as a body of Jesus Christ, right? I will make every effort, here's the first thing, knowing its ability to cause such devastating carnage, right? That's really it here. Take a look at verse one as we look at the first six verses here and see this. It says here, uh, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we, now don't you love how James includes himself in that? I love that. He's not looking down at everybody else. He's not saying, hey, this is what you need to follow. He's like, I'm putting myself in that as well. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. All right, so what we can gather here as we kind of read this is that there were you know, certain people in these churches that James is, is writing to here who had an interest in, in teaching, in, in some kind of teaching ministry within their uh, local body here and their desire to teach. It gives James uh, here an, an opportunity to give just really a general warning about the tongue uh, to all. But he starts off, of course, by addressing those who aspire uh, to teach. You know, when he says there that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, he's not exactly trying to like scare everybody away with that, right? He's not trying to, you know, scare off every aspiring, you know, Bible teacher or, or preacher. But it is, as uh, the commentator Douglas Moo puts it, that teachers expose themselves to a greater danger of judgment. Their, their constant use of the tongue means that they can sin very easily, leading others astray at the same time, okay? If you see a bead of sweat trickling down from me, it's because I'm taking that to heart. See, the responsibility that, that teachers of God's word have, it, it's just so substantial in God's eyes. There, there, there's such a weight to it that if we were to aspire, any of us, to aspire to that kind of role, it's a commendable aspiration, mind you, but... But if you, if you were to aspire to that, but, but you don't have good control of your tongue and you don't watch your mouth, James is essentially saying, forget about it, right? Don't, don't even go there. Like continue to bring that sin to the Lord, continue to confess that, but, but, but go and, and serve somewhere else, right? Go do, go do something, anything else, because, because you won't be able to handle the extra scrutiny that comes along with with that, now those of us here, not just me, but any of us here in, in teaching roles, I mean, that's, that's kind of freaky, isn't it? It's a fearful thing to consider. I mean, it really should be here. It, you know, it's a good thing for, for, for you and I to be, you know, kind of forced into some sobering, you know, self-reflection here where we're kind of like, like whoa, whoa, like, this is, a, this is a serious call, right? The standard is, is high. And as you kind of think about that and you think about your own life and, and kind of where your tongue took you this week, it kind of makes you realize, like, you know, I, I'm, I'm not perfect in this area. Right? I, I've been thinking that all week as I've been spending time uh, in these verses here. Like, I've, like I'm not perfect, right? I, I've messed up plenty of times with with my words and, and with my tongue. And I mean, that's what James really gets at here in verse two. You know, we're not perfect. And I mean, he even broadens his scope here to, to really include everyone now, not just aspiring teachers. He says this, for, for we all stumble, right? Stumbling meaning sin, right? We all, we all sin in many ways, very general. And if anyone does not 
stumble in what he says. He's a perfect man, able to also, or able also to bridle. That word bridle there literally means like to keep in check, okay? Able also to bridle his whole body, okay? So what, is he, what he's doing is he's getting at how powerful the, the tongue really is, right? And it is, you know, if you were, or I were to somehow, you know, attain perfection in the area of our tongue, in, in our words, in our speech, okay? By the way, not that we ever will attain that, right? Not in this, not in this lifetime, but again, that's, that's what we're striving towards, right? In, in Christ, but, but, you know, he's, he's, he's essentially saying, if you were able to attain perfection in this area, you would be a perfect person as a whole, okay? It's James's way of saying, you control your tongue, you control everything, Right, that's the strength of it. Now, a few illustrations here of what he means, starting in verse 3. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, think about how small a bit is. Okay, we guide their whole bodies as well. Horses are kind of huge. Right? Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, just picture the raging seas that you know, even the scriptures talk about. Right? Even though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, small body part, yet it boasts of great things. You know, this word, the use of the word boast there, this is actually the only time it really uses it this way in, in, the, New, in the New Testament. It has less to do with like arrogant you know, boasting and pride that kind of naturally comes to mind when we think of that uh, word there. Um, though, of course, the tongue certainly does do that as well. We know that. Rather, it's, it's used here to say that the tongue is truly capable of, uh, of boasting and having immense power. It can claim that, right? It's got major, major strength. And I'll keep going. Verse five, partway down. Keeps going with the illustrations. It says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. I mean, even a spark, right? He says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members. Again, body parts there, staining or corrupting the whole body, right? The, the whole person setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell, right? I would say that's, that's pretty strong language that he's using there, is it not? Now, the, the thrust of these, you know, all of these verses that we're looking at right here, this entire section, as, as you kind of like tie it all together, is that, you know, as a horse is, is guided by a bit in its mouth, right, a small bit, and as a ship is, is guided by a small rudder, right, as directed by the will of the pilot there, as a small fire can wreak havoc on the life of a forest, setting it ablaze, so can your uncontrolled tongue guide, direct, you know, set on fire the entire course of life, right? Yours, your life, and of course, the lives of others. Very forceful language from James here, right? He's getting us to to kind of know and recognize and, and realize just how destructive such a small part of the body can be. 
And of course, it's not like it's like really the, the muscle itself, the organ of the tongue. It's, it's the heart behind that. The heart directs what the tongue says. So if your tongue is spewing garbage, it, it's saying something about where your heart is at. And James is saying, if you haven't gained control of your tongue, really what you, what you become is just an instrument of, of, of devastating carnage, right? It's set on fire by hell, right? He's, he's talking about the, the demonic, satanic influence of, you know, of your words to ruin both your effectiveness in the building up of the church and, of course, destroying the lives of others within the church. So listen, let's apply this here very directly okay, to, to, to us, right? To, to our church. Okay? If you've got a, a fiery tongue, if you've got loose lips, okay, whether it be you know, gossip and, and the whispering and the, I've got information about somebody and I just have to disseminate that and I've got that drive and that urge. I like how that, how that feels. If it's slander and you, you like to, to cut people down and, and carve them down to size, if it's a, a critical spirit where you like to think of yourself as helpful in that, but really you're just, again, you're, you're breaking things down. It's coming out of your mouth. If it's for you, just, you know, harsh sarcastic comments. I'm being funny. No, you're not, right? If, if that's you and it's just, it's cruel. Listen, please confess and repent, right? You need to realize that if, if, if this is where your words go and, and this is what your heart is directing, you need to lay that before the Lord. You need to confess that. You need to turn away from that. Understand that the Lord who has, has saved you is gracious and he is merciful and he will be right there to forgive you. He wants to work in you. He wants to change you. He wants to make you new and he wants to use you as an, an instrument of, of blessing in people's lives. Not to be carving them up and, and cutting them down. Please confess and repent. That is the urge here today. But listen, if, if you won't do that, if you insist on hardening your heart. If even as I'm kind of talking to you right now, you've got like the inner lawyer going on in your mind where you're like, well, you know what? It's okay that I said that. And that person really deserved it. And, you know, well, they, you know, if that's you and you're hardening your heart and you refuse to turn, listen, I will say this as directly as I can. Please leave. Please Again, that, that's, that's not what we want. We want you to stay here. We want you to, to grow and be a vital part of, the, of this body that God is building here. But if you are working against all of that and you are, again, tearing people down and, and injuring and inflicting harm, just go, right? Go somewhere else. Like we, we, we don't want that here. Now you might be thinking, man, that's not a real great, you know, church growth strategy, pastor. Okay, don't care. Not into that. Listen, into healthy church, strong church. I either get on board, allow the Lord to soften your hard heart, confess your sin, or go. 
Honestly, that's, that's where this is driving us to. A little strong, Pastor. Listen, what James is saying here is strong. It really is. Christ is building his church, and uncontrolled tongues tear it down. I mean, I don't know how to be more clear and, and more direct than that. Listen, with all of that said, I think it's probably pretty good for us to also just kind of consider some of the other areas of our lives, some of our, you know, our other relationships and the different ways that these verses can be applied as well, right? We need to, to, to be considering, you know, constantly how our tongues might be inflicting, you know, this kind of damage, this carnage, again, on any of our relationships. You know, so if you're, you know, here today and, and, and you're, you know, you're married and, and, you know, you've got, you know, a spouse and all that, think about your words towards your spouse. Are, are, are they healthy? Are, are, you, are you seeking to build up your wife? Are you seeking to build up your husband? Or is it, is it do, you, do you tear down? Do you, do you critique? Are you constantly like, is it, is it nitpicking? Is it like nothing is ever good enough and, and you have no problem letting your spouse know it? And you might think it's subtle, but over time it just builds up and it builds up and it builds up and it's, it's so unhealthy. Husbands, do you love your wives? Do you tell them that? Do you, do you express your joy in your marriage? Are you patient with your spouse? Wives, likewise. What are your words like when it comes to your, your marriage? Or, you know, maybe it's even in your dating relationship. And you're not married yet, but you maybe hope to be, and you're either dating or you're single. Listen, you got to think about this. When you're looking for somebody to marry, how do they treat you with their words? Well, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but, you know, no, no one's really perfect. And, yeah, he says some things that are pretty direct and kind of, hurtful at times. Listen, if he's saying that now, try and fast forward 10 or 15 or 20 years into marriage and imagine how ugly that can get. It's important that we think about this, not just in our marriages, but in our parenting as well. How do you, how do you discipline your kids? Dad, are you screaming and are you flipping out because your kids kind of upset your status quo and the comfort of your life? Do you know how to discipline with, with gentleness? Being direct, going after the heart issues that are there, but, but doing it with kindness, doing it where, in a way where you don't just devastate your children and cause them to fear you in a negative way. How are your words to your kids? How about this one? Kids, how are your words to your parents? Right, especially as you get a little bit older, young ones. You know, when you're in junior high or in senior high, I mean, I think every adult, every parent here, we just put our parents through the ringer, right? And, and we, we, you know, we carved them up all the time and we gave them a hard time and, and we said awful things about them. And listen, this is as much to you as well kids as it is to your parents? How about just our general friendships? Maybe it's with people here in the church. Maybe it's with 
friends outside of the church and our neighborhoods? What are your words like to them? If you want to get real convicting, how about our, how the way we handle ourselves in social media? Right? Personally, I, I, just, I just actually canned my Facebook account a couple of, like a month ago maybe. Man, it feels good. Right? But, but you know, as you're involved in you know, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever it might be, how, how do you express yourself in those things, in those ways? Are, are, are you blunt? Are you harsh? Do you, do you tear people down? Do you, do you build them up? I mean, we got to think about this. That's an extension of our, of our tongue. Listen, learn to spot where your tongue, your words are causing devastation and damage and carnage and learn to see all of that. You might be thinking, okay, pastor, I, I think I hear that, but, but now what? Like, I, I kind of see where I'm doing some things. Like, what do I do next? Like, how do I, how do I deal with this? Well, here's the second thing. I'll make every effort to gain control of my tongue, recognizing that I have no power in and of myself to tame it. You might be thinking, well, that doesn't actually sound helpful at all, Pastor, um, to realize that. Well, listen, this might sound on the surface a little on the hopeless side, but it's actually the furthest thing from that. It's empowering. It's an incredibly important and, and necessary thing for all of us to recognize. Take a look at verse Seven. James says, for every kind or every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and, and has been tamed by mankind. But then this, but no human being can tame the tongue. He says it's a, it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, when I see that word restless there, I just like naturally automatically think to kids on summer vacation, right? And my kids just started that this week. And I mean, you, you know, if you've got young ones at home, how, how they're, they're just restless, right? They're, they're bored and, you know, they want to they go do something. And if they're not constructive, it naturally turns to destructive, right? They end up going and doing something bad a lot of the time. Okay, the tongue is kind of like that. It's restless. It wants to commit evil. It wants to spew deadly poison. And it will inevitably, if it is not, under control. Now, this verse isn't saying that it's impossible to grow in this area. It's not saying it's impossible to, you know, to see your words reined in and, and to get to a point where you know, you're, you're a kinder, kinder or gentler or, you know, or more gracious person in your speech. It's not saying that. What it is saying is that on your own, you can't fix it, right? No human being can tame the tongue, okay? But God can, right? He can do that in you, through you, right? And so maybe you're kind of thinking right now, okay, so if I can't tame my tongue, what exactly can I do? I can't do it. You know, I, I thought I'm supposed to make every effort, man, Make every effort to, to watch my mouth. How can I like, you know, put forth effort here if in the end I, I don't really have any power, right? And, and I can't really do this. I can't produce real change in myself. Well, I think, you know, therein lies the, the tension between man's responsibility 
and God's power that's necessary to make change happen. All right, so again, if I can't tame my tongue, what can I do? We're going to write these things down. It'll be on the screen. We've got three things here. First thing you need to do, embrace your helplessness. Embrace your helplessness. Now this, for you, will be so counterintuitive. Right? It is. Like, what, what, wait a second. Like, helplessness? I hate that. Like, I, I, want, I, I want to operate. I want to think of myself. I want to function as somebody who is strong. I want to function, uh, you know, from a position of power. What do you mean I'm supposed to embrace my helplessness? This is, again, the opposite of what your, instinct, your instincts will tell you and try to get you to do. But remember, we need to hold to proper doctrine here that you and I, we are, we are so unable to change our hearts, right? And it's from the heart, John said it, from the heart, the mouth speaks. We can't change it, but, but God can. So we need to learn to just embrace that weakness. Embrace that because that's when God can get work done. Here's what 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says. It says, and this is Paul. He says, but he, this is God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power, God's power, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness. You see how he's just embracing it? He's like, bring on the fact that I got nothing. Right, that's, that's the best. Because when I, when I see that, when I understand that, when I've, when I've embraced that, that's when God can be strong in me. He said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And he says this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Embrace your weakness. Second thing, what else can I do? Well, surrender this sin to the Lord. Surrender it. The idea being here, you know, fall on your knees. You know, humble yourself. Get, get low before the Lord and just surrender. Lord, I can't fix this. I, I've tried. I tend to just make more of a mess of this. Lord, would you just, would you take this? Would you do something with this? It's expressing your repentance in that moment, your, your total, your complete dependence on Christ to make it happen in you, that you're at his, that his mercy to, to change you and, and provide grace, right? That's, that's you just surrendering. I, I'm, not, I'm not fighting this anymore, Lord. It's, it's you that does it. Here's what Romans 6.13 says. It says, do not present your members, remember he's talking about the body here, to do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves, there's a surrender in that, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members, think about the tongue now in our context, your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Right? Surrender this to him. Last thing here, I can't tame my tongue. What exactly can I do? Well, part of it is just waiting and seeing what the Lord does. Right now, these three things, these are, these are kind of all happening simultaneously. I'm seeking to kind of like spread them out, unpack them a little bit here, but all of these are really kind of working together. But you've, you've got to wait and see what God does. It means you've got to be, you've got to be patient as you confess these things, as you, as you surrender, as you embrace the weakness and the helplessness and all of that. You've got to, you've got to be patient. 
Very, very rarely does transformation and, and change in your life happen overnight. Often doesn't work that way. So, be, so, so, so you got to wait it out here. Trust the Lord, right? Be, be faithful to him. Be prayerful. Take every opportunity to continue to, to pray about this, this issue of your words and your tongue and, and how you've treated people. And as you're doing that, here's God's promise to you, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you. He'll work in you. He'll, he'll change you. He'll do it on his timing, though, when he sees that it's right. Continue to humble yourself. Wait and see what God does. Listen, recognizing that I have zero power in and of myself to, to tame my tongue, that, that's the furthest thing from devastating and hopeless. It's actually, it's actually liberating. Right? Because, because now I, 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 know, I know where my power comes from. Right? Not, not from sad, you know, self-made efforts that just, you know, at best disguise pride and, and just promote more self-reliance. I, I can do this. My power to control and guide and, and steer my tongue in the right direction, that, that comes from the Holy Spirit. Right? That comes from him. As we recognize that, that's when we start cooking with gas. Final thing here. I will make every effort to gain control of my tongue, conceding that if I don't, it means that I'm not right with God. Okay, we see that expressed here, starting in verse 9. Take a look. It says, With it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And so in this, he's, he's, he's referencing the, you know, the, the inconsistency in that, right? And even the, the gross hypocrisy for, for a believer to behave in a way such as that, right? Now, now cursing here, it, it means far more than how kind of we think of that word as like swearing at somebody or, you know, using abusive language or, or that type of thing. And in the ancient world, it had more to do with a strong desire to see someone cut off from any and all blessing from God and essentially a desire to see them rot in hell, right? That, and, and so James is saying, from the same mouth, we lift our hands in worship. We praise him. We recite doctrine and theology and we want to see people burn dark, right? That, that's heavy. Right? A, a tongue that communicates that type of heart desire towards somebody who's made in the likeness of God, he says, made in God's image. I mean, I mean it is just, is this obvious? Like, it's just horribly incompatible with a person who claims to be saved. He keeps going here. Take a look. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both salt or fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? 
Okay, the intended answer, of course, being no. He says, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Okay, this is a, a picture of a person who is not right with God. Right? Not, a, not at all. And, and perhaps even in the ultimate sense, where if your tongue continues to spew poison and, and, and spit fire and do things like pronounce curses on people, it suggests that you're not saved, period. If you continue to do that, like how a fig tree cannot produce olives, a grapevine cannot produce figs, neither can a truly saved person produce the kind of fruit, the, the, the kind of toxic and, and foul spite coming from your mouth. Right? If, if you are yielding salt water, you're not a fresh spring. You're not saved. Now perhaps someone here needs to kind of consider that here today. And maybe you're even feeling some conviction in you right now and maybe it's like the Lord is just, you know, kind of kind of hammering you even. Where you're like, man, I, I thought I was saved, but wow, maybe as I look at the fruit of my life, Maybe I'm not. You thought you were saved, but your mouth is kind of proving the opposite. Well, listen, if that is you, get saved today. Right? Turn to the Lord for salvation. Confess your sin, and, and, and not just the outward action of it, but the love for it. Confess that, you know, I, I, Lord, I, I haven't loved you, I've loved myself, I've loved my sin, I've loved to do wrong and, and evil and, and, and wicked things. As, as you confess that to Lord, understand that, that Jesus Christ went to the cross. He, he died the death that, that you deserve for that sin, but he went there for you. He went there in your place. He went there to take the wrath and the punishment from God the Father on himself so that you could go scot-free so that you could be forgiven, that you could be made new, that you could be united with your creator. As you understand that, confess your sin and get saved. Or perhaps you're here today and you are saved, but there's just this dangerous inconsistency this dangerous hypocrisy present in your words that, again, are just, it's just flat out incompatible with the Christian life. It doesn't work together. If that's you, the right response here is essentially the same, right? It, it, it's get right with God, right? Turn, turn to Christ in repentance. Not, not to get saved, maybe that, that's already happened, but, but for further forgiveness, for, for not having lived in line with the salvation that God has, has graciously given you, right? So as you repent so that he can, so that he can pour out power and, and more grace, so again, that you are changed and that, that your, your words are transformed to the glory of God and, and for the building up of other people around you, for the building up of your, of your family, of your friends, of those in the workplace that you were gathered with, for the building up of the church, people that you used to tear down. See, if we continue to be careless with our words, church, at the very least, it reveals where our spiritual maturity is at, and that's low. At worst, 
perhaps it reveals where our salvation is at, non-existent. Listen, church, we have an opportunity today as we work through uh, this passage here to really take stock of our words, to get right with God again and with the people that we may have harmed. Listen, as I pray here to kind of close this off, really be thinking through this, thinking about the people that you may need to go to. It could be the person beside you. It could be the person four rows over. It could be somebody else in your family, somebody that you need to have a conversation with and just say, hey, listen, would you forgive me? It was wrong what I said. I see that now. Listen, if someone comes to you and says that, receive it and offer them forgiveness. Don't harden yourself, harden your heart and get bitter and harbor that towards that person as they're, you know, courageously coming to you under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and God's word. Extend them the forgiveness that Christ has extended you. And that is what Christians do. It's what a strong, healthy, and mature church does.